0: The History Channel Original Podcast Sports History This Week, July Nineteenth, Nineteen Eighty. I'm Kalen Jones. <laughs> The sun is shining over downtown Moscow. The open-air Central Lenin Stadium is packed to the brim with more than 100,000 fans from all over the world. Well, not the whole world, because nearly half the countries eligible to send athletes to compete have chosen not to do so. The main reason? Eight months earlier, the USSR invaded Afghanistan in protest. U.S. President Jimmy Carter announced a boycott of the games, calling upon allies to do the same. Sixty-five nations have opted not to attend in support of Carter. Athletes from country after country march around the track inside the stadium. Poland is in attendance. Citizens of that nation go wild in the stands, waving red and white flags. Portugal next. And then, there's a surprising delegation, an island who has chosen to ignore President Carter's boycott and participate in the Olympics. The U.S. territory? Dressed in all white, Puerto Rico's three boxers walk behind a flag showing the Olympic symbol. They're not allowed to fly their country's flag. After all, their own government doesn't want them to be there. Alberto Mercado is the face of the small delegation at only 19 years old. Two others stand behind him, Luis Pizarro and Jose Molina. All three have made the controversial choice to stand up the President Carter and the government from their own island. They don't know what kind of fallout their actions might cause. The United States is a nation that provides critical funding to Puerto Rico, and the boxers are making a political statement against them. If these three young men are victorious, what will it mean for their home and their own legacies? And what will happen if they lose? Today, three Puerto Rican boxers put themselves at the center of the Cold War for a once in a lifetime opportunity. This episode is a partnership between Sports History This Week and the podcast Eclipsed, whose team went down to Puerto Rico to report the story and meet the boxers who went to Moscow. So why do they go to Moscow? And is it worth the risk to defy the United States?
1: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems.
0: His journey to the Olympics begins in the mountain town of Calle, Puerto Rico, a bizarre local tournament whose name loosely translates to the Redneck Olympics. Just a teenager, this is the first real competition he boxes in. Mercado is going to compete in the 100-pound class, even though he weighs in the 90s. He's also just 5'5". Mime de mojito,
2: mosquito uh, flyweight.
0: That's Alan Gomez translating for Alberto Mercado. He worked with the Eclipse podcast team for this story. Mercado is excited to compete because he grew up with a love for boxing. He sees it as a ticket to a better life. After all, Mercado grows up in public housing in Calle, a town of less than 50,000 people. He gets into boxing because the local government runs free gyms across the country. Here's Bijan Steven, host of the podcast Eclipsed. He went down to Puerto Rico to report this story. He started boxing
1: for $3 and soda, just neighborhood games as an amateur.
0: Turned out he was actually really good. Now a teenager, Mercado is thin, with big arms and a bigger mustache. He has thick eyebrows and a full head of black hair. Mercado finds himself a trainer who works with pro boxers across the country. He prepares Mercado for these redneck Olympics. And when he steps into the ring, Mercado knocks out his first two opponents. And the third? He wins by decision. Mercado walks away with the gold medal, his first taste of victory. After his win... Mercado decides to devote himself completely to boxing.
2: John Marrero told me that I could be something special.
0: Mercado fights his way up the ladder over his teenage years and soon has the opportunity to box on his biggest stage yet, the Pan American Games. The Pan-American Games are a huge deal for athletes across North and South America. It's a chance to prove oneself on an international stage. It's even more important in Latin America, where the games allow a level playing field where athletes can attempt to defeat the, quote, Colossus of the North, the looming colonial presence that wields a lot of power, especially in Latin America. The two-week event unfolds in San Juan, Puerto Rico, just an hour's drive from Mercado's hometown. If he can medal there, it means he can fight on the biggest stage in the world, the Olympics. The games are also important for Puerto Rico itself. Sports have not always been valued on the island. While under Spanish rule, there was no support for athletics, but in the early 20th century, that began to change. Physical education was introduced in schools. Local sports facilities popped up everywhere. A whole government department became devoted to it. Sports soon became a source of national pride. They were seen as a way to build tourism, attract international investment. The Pan American Games are a direct result of that effort, a chance for Puerto Rico to prove itself to 34 other nations. Back to Mercado. At first, it isn't clear whether he will compete at all in the Pan-American Games. I don't think people liked him very much. <laughs> but in the boxing ring, Mercado's reputation doesn't matter. They let
1: him fight the person they were going to take and, you know, he beat the shit out of him. <laughs> he didn't even do the, yeah, he just didn't even try out and then was just like, let me fight the champion and then won.
0: Mercado wins gold at the Pan-American Games and soon is bound for the Olympics. When asked how he felt about winning, I know he sang like James Brown.
3: I feel good.
0: <laughs> Before the games begin, Mercado meets his brothers in arms, Luis Pizarro and Jose Molina, the two men Mercado would later march beside at the opening ceremony of the Olympics. Jose Molina is a few years older than Mercado. He's a bigger guy, but more reserved. Y yo y Alberto
2: are <laughs> Albert, butted heads.
4: Tiene,
0: he has his character, <laughs> I'm fine. But we were good friends. <laughs> Molina grows up in Puerto Rican public housing, too. His older sister actually exposed him to boxing when he followed her to a gym at just 12 years old. He became a prolific boxer, winning fights. A lot of fights. When the 1979 Pan Am Games take place, Molina makes it all the way to the gold medal round in the light middleweight division. Did you win? Yeah. (laughs) Even in English, I understood that one. The victory is enough to score a spot in the upcoming Olympics. The last member of the triad is Luis Pizarro, the youngest of the three. He's modest, quiet. As a kid in Puerto Rico, Pizarro trained the box at a park close to his home. One time, he came home with a swollen face.
2: And I was scared that my mother was going to get mad at me, but I told her that, no, it was a bunch of bees that stung me on the mountainside (laughs) when I was walking there, um, and, and she
0: believed it. A few years later, Pizarro found himself also competing in the Pan-American Games. He made it all the way to the quarterfinals. The other
4: winning Americans
3: in gold medal action. white Jackie Beard of Jackson, Tennessee on the left of your screen against Luis Pizarro
2: of Puerto Rico. In that fight, uh, he got me, he just got me inside too much. I asked him like, but I thought you were, you know, Mr. Technical, why don't you get out and kind of do your thing? Well, i forget Jackie Beard, a little ball of fire, took Lou Pizarro inside and beat him at his own game. With cleaner and harder punching, he used his
3: strength and his ring generalship beautifully in his fight, Tim.
0: Pizarro takes home the silver medal. And a ticket to the Olympics.
2: I was so happy. I was jumping up and down. I, I just couldn't believe it. I just said, wow, I finally made it.
0: Their victories are a big enough deal that a company in Puerto Rico names a beer after them, the Medaya, meaning metal. So thanks to their success at the Pan American Games, these three young boxers are bound for the 1980 Summer Olympics. Soon, they would be battling with millions of eyes on them. But little did they know, that battle would not be inside a boxing ring.
4: First of all, it's a real
0: honor for me to be here with all you famous people. (laughs) It's March 21st, 1980. The Cold War is trudging forward. East versus West. The US versus the Soviet Union. The President of the United States, Jimmy Carter, is standing up in a conference room to speak to Olympic representatives. He prepares himself on a golden dais in front of a tall, golden curtain. The president is here to announce a controversial decision. The United States will boycott the upcoming Summer Olympics in Moscow. That the
4: decision of the world community to hold the Olympics in Moscow is an acknowledgment of approval of the foreign policy of the Soviet Union and proof to the world that the Soviet's policy results in international peace. I can't say at this moment what other nations will not go for the Summer Olympics in Moscow. Ours will not
0: go. The USSR invaded Afghanistan last year and Carter isn't happy about it. This boycott is a direct result.
4: Pakistan, which once saw Afghanistan as a buffer against the Soviet Union, is now terrified that it will be the next target for the Soviet troops. And India is desperately afraid
0: the States... Carter calls on other nations to join him in boycotting the Olympics. Canada, Japan, and West Germany have already joined him. Soon, 65 nations are choosing not to attend. The reactions to the boycott are mixed. For athletes, it's a huge loss. Their careers only last for so long. By skipping these games, they would have to wait four more years to compete. But it's an even stranger equation for American territories like Puerto Rico. The island doesn't have the rights of an American state. And yet, it's expected to follow the United States' lead. On the island, the debates begin. Boycott or no boycott? The first major battle around these Olympics would not be between two boxers, but two bureaucrats, Erman Rykov-Cempayo and Governor Carlos Romero-Barcelo. Rykov, the feisty 65-year-old president of the Puerto Rico Olympic Committee and former Olympic swimmer, stands firmly opposed to the boycott and wants to send the nation's athletes to Moscow. Barcelo, the bespectacled 48-year-old governor of Puerto Rico. He's a staunch supporter of the boycott. The clock is ticking. The deadline to respond to the Soviet invitation is May 24th. That leaves Puerto Rico only two months to come to an agreement. For Erman Rykov, the argument is clear. Politics should not be a factor in sports. On the other hand, Governor Barcelo is a supporter of the United States. He backed Carter's presidential primary campaign in 1979, and he's committed to making Puerto Rico itself a state within the US. So the idea of ignoring Carter's boycott, ridiculous. While the debate rages, Rykov moves forward with efforts to send athletes to Moscow. He asks each sports federation to decide amongst themselves. Would you like your athletes to go? Six sports, including boxing, said, oh yeah. Governor Barcelo was not happy. The threats start coming in. He notifies Rykov and his Olympic committee. It would not get the needed funds to send any teams to Moscow. During all this back and forth, Luis Pizarro is stressed out. His country is flip-flopping over a decision that would be very meaningful to him. Here's Luis Pizarro through a translator. All
2: I thought was, I'm not going to be able to compete in the Olympics. I felt deceived. I felt bad, so bad.
0: Finally, Puerto Rico Olympic Committee President Rykov sets up the knockout punch. The Olympic Committee will advance a vote on whether Puerto Rico will send a delegation to Moscow. Heck with the governor's demands. The result? 21 to 3 in favor. Puerto Rico, a U.S. territory, would turn up its nose at President Jimmy Carter's boycott. Only table tennis, shooting, and weightlifting delegates oppose. The threats continue to roll in from the governor's camp. Rykoff accuses Romero of threatening athletes with tax probes if they attend the games, to cut off financial support to local sports groups. Some athletes themselves worry about losing their government jobs. Romero denies all the allegations. One might think, doesn't Puerto Rico's governor have enough power to say, no, you athletes can't go? But Puerto Rico's Olympic Committee is completely autonomous from the government. So if the committee decides athletes can go, they can. The three young boxers suddenly have a decision. They can go to Moscow and compete in the Olympics, but will they actually do it? Should they? Here's Bijan Steven again.
1: Well there was a campaign to like convince him not to go. So like, Mercado was hearing from everybody that he shouldn't go. Like his parents were like, "You can wait four years. you can go to the next Olympics. just don't go to this one.
0: There's serious concern among citizens on the island that there would be consequences if the boxers attend. What if the U.S. decides to pull support for food stamps, Medicare, Social Security? All that concern is directed straight at the boxers.
1: I mean, they definitely got at least one bomb threat. Like, somebody somebody, threatened to bomb their plane, apparently. Uh, to Moscow. Even Mercado's own father pressures him not to go.
2: My father would tell me there will be other Olympics. Don't participate in these.
0: Meanwhile, U.S. and Puerto Rican dignitaries are shaming the boxers for their participation, publishing open letters in several newspapers, arguing the move will be used as leverage by Moscow against the U.S. Mercado just doesn't care.
2: I sent them to
3: hell.
0: It's now June 1980, and the pressure in Puerto Rico is growing heavier for the three boxers, who need to train. There's even concern of being detained if they try to go to Moscow. It's 4 a.m. in the San Juan airport. A crowd is there to see them off. As the boxers walk across the runway, a stranger hands a sign to Mercado.
2: He doesn't know who it is walked up to him, said, gave him that sign, and said, this
0: is, you can show this to the press. It reads, soy olympico, no politico. I'm an Olympian, not a politician. Mercado still has the sign. The Olympics spur a new wave of construction in Russia. A new terminal for the Moscow airport, a towering, curved hotel, and two massive apartment buildings, both built as perfect circles, like the Olympic rings. It's July 19th, 1980. The day has finally come for the Olympics to open. It's sunny in downtown Moscow. The streets are filled with onlookers. Men wear suits with wide-brim collars. Women wear long skirts. And they're all trying to see the caravan of vehicles slowly making its way toward the central Lenin Stadium. In the procession, a crew of young Russian athletes jog in two parallel lines, all wearing white tank tops. One runs in front of the group holding the Olympic torch. Inside the stadium, the festivities begin. Countries march around the track. When it's Puerto Rico's turn, the small delegation circles the stadium holding a flag bearing the Olympic rings. They can't fly their Puerto Rican flag, but they find a loophole, each wearing hats displaying the flag. This is a powerful moment for the three boxers. It's the culmination of months of tension. They're here. They haven't been detained. Nothing happened to them, despite all the threats. Still, Jose Molina can feel all the opposition he's facing across the world. And yet, he still feels like he's representing his home.
2: Three of us, but uh, mentally it felt like there was three million of us.
0: One fight is now over. The whole will-they-won't-they-compete battle. But the actual boxing matches are fast approaching. The first boxer to compete, the soft-spoken Jose Molina, the eldest of the three. He gets in the ring inside a stadium that can hold up to 80,000 people. His first opponent is Ibrahim Saeed, a 28-year-old Ethiopian boxer. He gets through the first few rounds versus Saeed. No major problems. But in the third, Saeed rallies. He hits Molina in the jaw, and the ref counts to eight while the Puerto Rican boxer gets a hold of himself on the ground. But Molina survives, winning the battle in five rounds. Molina then goes up against Dietmar Schwartz, a 20-year-old German with short, curly hair. Both guys handled their first-round fights easily, but Molina is confident.
4: Uh, that's dude like this guy.
0: <laughs> they go three rounds. We just we hit each other so hard.
2: That guy it hit him so hard that, like, his part of his nose kind of started coming off. Like, right here.
0: Molina is declared the winner. That means he's into the quarterfinals. If he wins, he's guaranteed at least a bronze medal. Though after the match, he notices something isn't right. It turns out he injured his hand.
2: As soon as it like cooled down, then he
0: realized what happened. That's when the pain comes. Molina is out of the Olympics. He can't fight with an injured hand.
2: That's where all the dreams went away. The just luck, just the the bad luck that's on Puerto Rico.
0: Luis Pizarro is next, readying himself for the featherweight division fight. He goes up against a 21-year-old Cameroonian boxer named Jean-Pierre Babon.
2: There were thousands of people there. It was a real coliseum.
0: The match begins.
2: (laughs) When he punched me. Um, and it didn't hurt. Uh, that's when I knew I was going to beat him.
0: Pizarro gets close to his opponent, keeping the pressure high. He dominates the fight. The ref calls it before Pizarro can even knock out Babon.
1: Did the Cameroonian say anything to him afterward? Después de la pelea, tú hablaste
2: de alguna manera con el Africano. No, We didn't really speak. I I spoke to him with my fists, uh, not so much with my mouth.
0: Pizarro wins the bout. Alberto Mercado is up next. He's the face of the Puerto Rican delegation, the favorite to win a medal in these games. There's a lot at stake. He's taken most of the heat for traveling to these games. If he wins, he will certainly be a hero in his country. But if he loses, it would hurt that much more. Was all this risk really worth it if he can't even medal? Mercado is up against Gilberto Roman, a 5'3", 17-year-old Mexican boxer. His nickname? Cachanilla. He looks serious, with thick eyebrows and a big mustache of his own. Mercado and Roman eye each other. Then... The fight begins. Roman is an expert at dodging punches. Mercado, skilled at finding openings to jab. They move in.
2: I went out to fight with somebody who was ready to fight too, who came to fight too. Very quickly, uh, he believes intentionally, there was a headbutt and their their heads butted. And so he started bleeding.
0: The fight is stopped by a doctor. Roman cut Mercado on his right eyelid, and Mercado is done. He doesn't have a choice but to forfeit the match. After months of buildup, Mercado's Olympics are over in just 90 seconds. He cries in the ring.
2: The only thing I ever wanted was that Olympic medal, and the 1980 Olympics was my chance. Um, I consider myself, I was the best one. I was the, I, I was the
0: best. Molina and Mercado are done. Molina just one fight away from meddling. Distraught, the two fly back to Puerto Rico. So, I mean, how disappointing
1: was that for him? You know, he says he took a flight immediately back to Puerto Rico. So I think pretty it was pretty bad. Like he left his teammates in Moscow. He was just gone. Also, he was the first one to bail. First one to bail. Mercado just wanted to get home. Uh, I don't. I don't know exactly why Molina. But Molina had also lost. So I guess he he probably also wanted to get home.
0: Pizarro finds himself as the last man standing in Moscow.
2: I felt alone there, a little depressed, but then he, then he clarified to say, but, but they had to leave, I understood.
1: I think it also like could not have possibly been lost on him that he was the last hope for Puerto Rico.
0: Pizarro is on to the second round, up against the five-foot-eight, Gaianan fighter, Fitzroy Brown.
2: When he hit me the first time, it hurt. I, and that's when I knew I had to box this guy. Uh, I had to really box. But after the first round, you already have a sense of it. And I knew that this guy
0: is mine. Pizarro wins by unanimous decision. He's on to the third round, the quarterfinals. He's now made it as far as Molina, competing for the bronze medal. He's up against Cuban boxer Adolfo Horta.
4: Adolfo Horta is the Cuban featherweight.
2: 125-pound weight limitation. He was fast, he was fast. Um, This guy was the Pan-American champ.
0: If Pizarro can pull this off, he'll walk away with a silver or gold medal.
2: I kept going because sometimes you never know. You get lucky, you get a lucky shot. I hit him once, like kind of up here on the side of the head, but the official said I couldn't do that.
0: After the final bell, the judges discuss who should win the match. And by unanimous decision, Adolfo Porta.
1: It's you know it's sad
0: they go he goes home without a medal. Nine days after the opening ceremony on July 28, 1980, it's over. Horta goes on to win the silver medal for Cuba. Pizarro and Molina both place fifth, just outside of medaling. Pizarro flies home to little fanfare, but Mercado—Mercado Mercado
1: got a lot of the heat because he was basically the face of this. Like he—he he did the interviews, he was in the newspapers. Like he was the guy who was sort of the face of this. It's not a rebellion, but you know what I mean. He was like the face of the operation, kind of. Right, right, right. So naturally, he got more backlash.
2: I landed here at four in the morning.
1: A las cuatro de la mañana. A las
3: cuatro de la mañana. And
2: at four in the morning, there was a bunch of Puerto Ricans at the airport screaming, traitor, communist. Why didn't I stay and live in Russia?
0: Now that the Olympics are over and Puerto Rico has defied the U.S. boycott, does it actually affect the relationship with the U.S.? Are benefits like food stamps and Medicare cut?
1: I don't think it really changed the relationship at all. Um, Puerto Rico is still neglected by U.S. politicians, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, the things that they were afraid of didn't happen, but
0: that's only because, like, the U.S. didn't seem to care in the first place. The three men never returned to the Olympics. Four years later, two Puerto Rican boxers do medal for their island, a silver for Luis Ortiz and a bronze for Aristides Gonzalez. Fast forward to 2022. The Eclipse podcast team makes their way all the way down to Puerto Rico to visit Jose Molina and Alberto Mercado on their home turf. They drive first to Mercado's hometown of Calle. They arrive at the home of Alberto Mercado, which is also a museum devoted to his career. The Casa Museo Alberto Mercado. Inside, it's packed floor to ceiling with stuff. Political cartoons, awards, photos of Mercado from his young tournament wins, and then there's the star of the show, Alberto
1: himself. He was immediately very like playful, like he was like teasing, <laughs> teasing me in lane. Uh, he was ragging on me for not buying him a sandwich when he didn't even ask for it. And I was like, man, yeah, okay, all right. So it's gonna be like this for like days.
0: <laughs> Mercado has lived a lot of life since the Olympics 42 years ago, but clearly. He's still defined by it.
3: World Champion,
2: 79. 79. So, you were a world champion for how long? No, I'm a world champion okay. the rest of my life.
3: Yeah.
0: After the Olympics, Mercado becomes a professional boxer and competes in 46 bouts, winning most of them. He competes all over the place Las Vegas, New Orleans, New York. But it isn't an easy road. There's tension between him and his managers. They only sign him up for matches if the money is good enough, often putting him up against someone who was above his weight class. By the time he retires, he'd suffered long-term brain damage. Back in Puerto Rico, he continues on by collecting disability checks and working odd jobs. His museum only received funding two years ago, the place where he now lives. I think he's
1: justifiably proud of his accomplishments, because, like, frankly, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. you know, he was one of the best boxers in the world at the time. I think, basically, it's, like, for Pizarro and Molina, like, the Olympics did not define them. I think for Mercado, it did.
0: For Luis Pizarro, he fought professionally in 11 or 12 bouts. He lived that lifestyle for a few years, but it just didn't pay enough. So he spent 30 years spraying pesticides, and then delivering food to schools. When he couldn't make ends meet in Puerto Rico, he moved to Massachusetts and hasn't left.
2: I work in a crouton factory. What?
0: Uh, I'm the one who cuts the bread. Today, Pizarro is still proud of his boxing career. He may not have won back then, but he knows he tried his best. The Eclipse team with Bijan Steven drives out to visit Jose Molina in a small city called Fajardo. It's right on the beach and is known for being a water sports hub. After the Olympics, Molina starts working out on the port there, where he continues to do so for the next 30 years. But he actually stays in boxing, not fighting though. He's the corner man for his brother, Juan, who ends up becoming a world champion. Juan even fights in the 1984 Olympics. After the interview, Molina takes everyone to his favorite spot.
2: This, this beach here that we're going to, this is the, the easternmost I'm to of Puerto
4: Rico.
2: Oh, mm. there's a flag there if you want to take a picture with
0: it. Molina's friends are already there, sitting at a table playing dominoes, including his buddy Ishmael. At 79, he's retired and has a boat named after his wife, Donna Tari. Bijan asks Ismail how people saw him after the 1980 games.
2: We are very proud of him. There's nothing to say
4: about uh, Papo, as we call him, you know. <laughs> He's, he's good at dominoes, a little temperamental on, in dominoes, but okay, he's, right, he's good, he's good, he's good. <laughs> in other words, he don't like to lose. And, and who likes to lose? Nobody, right?
2: <laughs> I didn't become a world champion in boxing, but I worked hard and I never uh, you know, was in want of anything. Ahora
4: en estos momentos recibo la pensión de mi trabajo y un retiro del seguro social y un retiro. Estoy viviendo, gracias a Dios. a lo mejor yo no yo me encuentro que estoy viviendo bien, a mí no me falta nada.
2: I got a pension from my job, I got my social security check. Um, I feel like I don't need anything. I feel like I have whatever human being needs. I have my house, I have my things, I have what I need.
0: Bijan Steven became interested in this story because he says it was difficult to imagine how three young boxers could stand up to the entire U.S. government. He wanted to visit them to learn why, but also because no one had taken a comprehensive look at what actually took place with these boxers. Part of that is the complicated relationship between the US and Puerto Rico. For example, when he visited Molina and Fajardo, he sees how the city is still showing the impacts of Hurricane Maria, considered the worst natural disaster in recorded history to hit the island. Winds of nearly 200 miles an hour swept through the northeast Caribbean in 2017. It took more than 3,000 lives. It was like very
1: clear that there was still damage from the hurricane that hadn't been fixed, and I just I don't think the U.S. government gave them enough aid to like get everything fixed. So like it was weird to see like the
0: politics so literally reflected in like the streets, you know. It was a reminder to Bijan of the tension in this story. In 1980, Puerto Ricans were worried of angering the United States by ignoring the Olympic boycott. But more than 40 years later, that tension hasn't gone away.
1: I think I, you know, I think I'd like them to think more, like, more and more critically about the relationship the U.S. has with Puerto Rico. And, you know, generally, I think think more critically about colonialism and, like, the weird quirks that it like imprints on places
0: things were difficult in 1980 the soviet-based olympics put the population in a tough position but would it be different today after hearing the full story steven says it's easier to imagine why mercado felt the way he did and why all three young men got onto the plane not knowing what would happen next in moscow Thanks for listening to Sports History this week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History channel today. If you want to get in touch, please shoot us an email at our email address, sportspod@history.com. we love to hear from our fans, and non-fans too. Special thanks to our guest, Bijan Steven, host of the podcast Eclipsed who generously shared their interviews in Puerto Rico and found archival materials. The show put together a four-episode series of this story, so be sure to check their show out for the full story. This episode was produced by Cooper McKim, story edited by me, Kaylin Jones, and sound designed by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by David Inker. Our senior producer is Ben Dixie. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.